Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Fillion. And welcome to Unscripted. Today, Niger brings the voice of Africa's Sahel region into the Security Council with Ambassador Abdu Abari and Michael Shurkin, an American expert on West Africa. This is Unscripted, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats and the reporters covering them. The town of Corée is located 37 miles east of Niamey, the capital of Niger. Corée is known for being the last place in West Africa where you can spot giraffes in a nature preserve. On August 9th, a group of humanitarian aid workers decided to take a day off to sightsee, but never returned. The Tilaberi region, where Kure is located, borders Mali and Burkina Faso. The area is considered unstable. Like other places in the Sahel, it is a safe haven for terrorist groups. The Sahel is a semi-arid area that sits below the Sahara, stretching from coast to coast, from Senegal to Sudan. The attacks took the lives of six Frenchmen and two Nigerian. For Ambassador Abdou Abari, the broader impact of the attack on foreigners will have a direct financial effect on the local population, which is already suffering from the threat of insurgents. But then what happened after this attack is that, uh, you know, the giraffes are being protected because you have tourists that are coming, visiting that. It is generating some financial resources that is helping population on the ground and that is making the population become economically independent, not to harm the giraffes. Then after this attack, Niger were put in red, meaning if not the capital city, Niamey, the advice from some countries is that Niger become all Niger, 1,000,267 square kilometers. Because of what happened 60 kilometers away from, from Niamey, it is the whole country that is painted uh, red, then uh, this is not really justified to be put in this situation because it will have uh, an economic impact not only on the region of Kure, but on the whole country. Niger has a population of around 22 million people and a GDP per capita of $413. By comparison, the U.S. amount is $65,000. Niger is a landlocked country that shares borders with seven other countries. Algeria, Benin, Burkina Faso, Chad, Libya, Mali, and Nigeria. Michael Shurkin is an expert on West Africa who works at the RAND Corporation, a nonprofit policy think tank. He says Niger is doing relatively well in the region, considering the chaos that marks many of its neighbors. So Niger is a country that basically is encamped in the middle of a minefield in the sense that there are so many dangers, so many problems, and there are perils everywhere and everything is a mess everywhere. And Niger somehow manages to survive or maybe I should say muddle through 
relatively well. I mean, it's always sort of a wonder, you know, people scratch their heads over this. Like, why is Niger doing as well as it is, relatively speaking? It's hard to say that Niger is doing well. It's simply doing better than, right? It's better than Burkina Faso. It's better than Mali. It's better than Chad. Niger is one of five countries that make up the G5 Sahel Drained Force, a security partnership in West Africa composed of Niger, Burkina Faso, Chad, Mali, and Mauritania. It was created in 2014 to address the rising violence in the Sahel, including the increase of terrorist organizations in the region linked to Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State. The Security Council supports the G5 Sahel on paper, but the UN does not provide funding for its operation. There are also many international missions aimed at bringing stability to the region, such as France's Operation Barkhane, the UN's MINUSMA peacekeeping mission in Mali, a U.S. military presence, and the EU's military training mission in Mali. One priority for Niger on the Security Council, its first time in 40 years, will be to bring the Sahelian voice into the body and hopefully find more allies there. Unfortunately, we think that people are talking a lot about our problems. You have, uh, let's say, around 17 strategies for Sahel. But if you look uh, on the ground, the impact of these uh, realities, you do not have uh, many. And therefore, to, to draw the attention through the Security Council of the International Community in order to have uh, sustainable financing of the G5 Sahel. We express our political will as uh, the five countries of the G5 Sahel to put into place uh, a 5,000 troops uh, component to defend our countries. But we do not have the financial means and we do not have proper armament to deal with this threat. It is not just a threat against the Sahel, but it is a global threat. And we cannot alone face it because we are devoting as of now uh, around 20 to 30 percent of our uh, financial resources to the fight against terrorism. Then unless we get help by uh, our partners uh, from the international community, it will be difficult for us to revert this trend. You couldn't ignore the impact of what is going on in Libya on the overall situation in, in, in the Sahel. And we do say that unless you sort out the situation in Libya, it will be hypothetical to think that you can solve the current situation in the Sahel. We thank those partners that are helping us, but we need more help because uh, the evolution is not in our favor. The insecurity is uh, spreading out uh, all over the region, and we are fearing that even uh, countries that are not uh, touched by this violence may be concerned if we didn't uh, deal with the situation in the Sahel itself. Michael Shurkin from RAN also believes that Niger's best strategy to adopt on the Security Council is to plea for more help in the region. Niger is very much dependent on the international community and on foreign donors, right? So Niger's role at the United Nations, I'm sure, is one of 
basically trying to make its case as best as possible. It needs international support and it needs as much as possible. International support for everything from basic food security to just a myriad of needs trying to address development and governance problems and security problems, et cetera. And with that respect, so the major sources of aid for Niger are going to be on one hand, there's the UN. On the other hand, there's sort of France and the French-dominated Sahel Alliance and sort of this coalition that the French have cobbled together of the, the five Sahelian nations, the G5 Sahel, which has a broad focus, everything, including diplomacy and development and governance and security stuff as well. So you have a country that survives and manages in part because of sort of deft domestic managing of, of domestic problems, but then also doing a very good job of getting international support from the UN, from sort of the international community, France being sort of at the foremost of that pack. And basically, you know, also being a good neighbor with respect to Chad and Mali, Burkina Faso, like doing what they can and trying really hard also to not get dragged into the mess that's going on in, in Libya. After the break, we'll discuss Iran and we'll get to know the ambassador. Are you looking for a talk show featuring leading global voices? Do you want to learn more about how international issues directly affect people locally? Global Connections Television presents the insights of global influencers at no cost to viewers and programmers. GCTV is independently produced and reaches more than 70 million potential viewers worldwide each week. The show covers everything from human rights to climate change, from peace and security to empowering women and girls. It features guests such as Dr. Jane Goodall, former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Mary Robinson, and Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary. The show also hosts expert voices from the private sector, academia, and labor and environmental movements. GCTV is available to public television media outlets, universities, and service clubs for distribution. To watch the show or find out more, click the link in our episode description. Now, back to the show. As president of the council, Niger doesn't always get to pick what's going to be on the agenda. One thing observers are waiting to see is what Niger will do regarding the next steps of the Iran nuclear deal. In August, the U.S. triggered the snapback mechanism related to the deal. The snapback is part of the 2015 Iran nuclear deal, or Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, endorsed by the U.N. Security Council Resolution 2231. According to the U.S., the snapback will reimpose U.N. sanctions against Iran on September 20th because Washington says Iran is not respecting the nuclear deal and must pay the price. Most members of the council believe the U.S. is no longer a participant of the Iran deal because it left the agreement in 2018. And Indonesia, as president of the council in August, decided not to take action on the U.S. announcing it would trigger the snapback in 30 days, because it said there was no consensus to do so on the council. Niger will be in charge when that 30-day deadline occurs, and will have to handle it as president. Niger says it's been in touch with many council members, including the U.S., to be ready to deal with the matter. 
but 13 of 15 members, that includes France, Britain, Germany, Russia, and China, say the U.S. cannot legally invoke the snapback, so the consul is in uncharted territory. Here's what the ambassador said about how Niger plans to handle the situation. You know, U.S. is a, a great partner of Niger. If we survive today, if we are a very stable country, it is thanks to the help of America. They are helping us on the military field, on training, uh, giving us some military equipment. But on the field of development, they are having more than a, a program on, on agriculture that have an envelope of more than 500 million US dollars. Then we count on them, they are very good and reliable partners. On the issue of Iran, Iran is not, uh, let's say, really our priority as, as Niger. It is an international file. GCPOA took uh, 13 years of uh, negotiations among the P5 and other main actors in order to be concluded. Then USA, yes, we've met with some US officials that they didn't ask us specifically something to do. Yes, uh, the relation we are having through the Security Council will reflect the excellent relation we are having on bilateral field. Then whatever we can do to help not only the US because this uh, Iran nuclear file is not an issue that is related only to the US. It is a concern for all the 15 members of the Security Council. I do say that we have the same goal, but it is the ways we are taking that are sometimes different or even divergent. Then as uh, an incoming president of the Security Council, I will respect uh, the rules of the Security Council. Uh, the president is not the only one to make a decision. In any way we can help uh, build a consensus in order for the Security Council to survive these turbulences, to remain united even after the Iranian file, we will do our utmost to achieve this goal. Then I do not see it uh, as a question that is concerning only USA on one side and others on other sides. We have a collective responsibility. Then in some way, the fear of some countries of the region of what they called uh, the Iranian policy, I think it is a concern shared not only by USA, but by all other members of the Security Council. Then, we do face some uh, procedural issues here, some legal issues maybe, but uh, I have confidence that uh, with the wisdom of the P5 and uh, the wisdom also of the E10, we will be able to overcome this, uh, this difficult situation. But one issue that Niger wants to bring forward is the international organization of La Francophonie, 
On September 8th, Niger will host a debate on the cooperation between the UN and regional and sub-regional organizations and the role of La Francophonie. But there's a special reason. The Agency of Cultural and Technical Cooperation, which later became La Francophonie, was established in Niamey. Euro the Francophonie was born in Niger in 1973 with President Jury Hamani to, together with former president of Senegal, Leopold Sedar Senghor, the president of Tunisia, Habib Bourguiba. And Francophonie comprised today 84 countries, not only Francophone countries. You have some Anglophone countries that are members of the Organisation Internationale de la Francophonie, and we choose to shed light on the excellent work this organisation is doing on the field of peace and security, maintenance on uh, peacekeeping operation, but also uh, on good governance. In all the Francophone countries, when you have uh, election, the most important stakeholder in order to check the, the voters list, uh, to follow the registration of voters, uh, to see if the whole system is accepted by all uh, political stakeholders. Uh, the Francophonie is very important to us. And we say as uh, the father of this organization, we have to show the international community that uh, Francophonie is not just a French issue or a French speaking country issue. It is a global issue and Francophonie is a very important international player on peace, security, and election. Niger will also hold a debate on the maintenance of international peace and security on global governance and the post-COVID-19 world, and another one on the humanitarian effects of environmental degradation and its impact on international peace. Climate change is a main priority of Niger's two-year term on the Council, which started last January. Two-thirds of Niger is desert, and Niger is experiencing recurrent food crises, a situation exacerbated by the droughts resulting from climate change. Now, let's personally get to know the man representing Niger on the council for its two-year term. Ambassador Abdu Abari is a career diplomat and started out as a counselor in Niger's mission to the UN in the 1990s. He was also the diplomatic advisor to the president of Niger from 1999 to 2003. He also has represented Niger in Brussels, where he was concurrently representing his country in Greece, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands. But one diplomatic visit he won't forget is when he went to Iceland. In a month of January or February, February in Niger, you have an average of 40 degrees centigrade. Then I just uh, joined uh, Brussels and I received a letter from Reykjavik saying I have to come and uh, present my credentials to the president. Then I flew there. It was minus uh, 30 something degrees from 45 degrees centigrade to minus uh, 30 degrees. Then early morning, what is called early morning, around seven, the reception called me and they said, Ambassador Zokar is waiting for you. And I said, but it is, uh, it is in the night. 
why can't we wait until the daylight? Then we can go. They said, no, it is the time the protocol is waiting for you. Then I came out in the darkness. We enter the car. We go for the ceremony. We finish everything. It was still in the night. Then at what time we have a, a very, very small light and we go back in the night. And I say, how can people survive here? You see the opposition is that in Niger you have sun. It is clear every time, every time it's hot. And from this situation, I revert into that one, very, very cold, very dark. But thanks God, I survived this, uh, this experience. But I didn't go back to Reykjavik since that uh, this first time that is what i can tell you about my story with iceland but it is a very very nice country with very nice people really in 2014 abari also became the chairperson of the african union commission for the head of office in the democratic republic of congo the drc is a topic he cares about a lot here at the un the ambassador is also an avid cyclist and is even president of Niger's Cyclist Federation. The ambassador lives in White Plains, where he says the pandemic was much easier to weather than in Manhattan. But he has another challenge ahead, leading the Security Council during the first virtual and socially distanced United Nations General Assembly opening session in history. This episode was co-produced by me, Casey Candela, and Stephanie Fillion for Pass Blue, an independent women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulcie Leimbach is our editor, and Allison Lecce is our intern. AI Digital created our podcast logo, and our music is by Poddington Bear. A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted. And Pass Blue is covering the important news, from women's rights to human rights to the Trump effect on the UN. For day-to-day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And to subscribe to our newsletter, go to passblue.com. Pass Blue's in-depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the New School, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit Pass Blue's website and click Donate. Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts. If you like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share with all your friends. 